Welcome to Wyoming Web Ed Radio. This is James Capti, Wyoming teacher and buckaroo for our ride. I am partnered with our lead rider, Maya Williams, UW professor, molding teachers' minds and keeping us all in line today. Get those spurs ready, Maya, in case the herd gets a little crazy today. So Maya, I just, I ran into a cowboy in Laramie the other day and, and he asked me if I could help him round up some cows. He said he had like 18 cows. So the teacher and me, I said, sure, that's 20 cows. <laughs> oh, James, are you trying to make friends with math teachers again? Oh, well, uh, some, you just got to do what you got to do here. So <laughs> we are, we're riding into week five of this amazing educational adventure and the jokes are getting better and the boots are kicking up all sorts of dust now. So as a tech expert, Maya, our listeners are scratching their heads wanting to know what does great technology in a classroom look like? Thanks, James. I get asked that a lot. And pre-service teachers and new teachers always want a list of the great tools that they can use in their classroom. But there's a lot of technology out there, and it is changing all the time. What's available today is not available tomorrow. So it's really not about the tech, but it's about how you use it. And I really like to see the technology in the hands of the students. Um, so that they're engaged and they're doing stuff with the tools and they're, they're using it to learn about the content and build things. And my favorite use of technology is when students create something and that they can show and communicate their learning with it. So what's your favorite tool, James? You know, I, I, I echo exactly what you said. I love, I mean, technology does, can do so much for a classroom, but if it's all about just consuming and looking at a screen and, and that, then, then we've lost the purpose of it. That idea of creating and it, it somehow leading to an engaged student is, is super important. And, and that's something sometimes we miss with technology. So the tools may come and go, but how we engage our students is the big, big piece of that, which kind of leads us right into, you know, let's get this show on the dirt road. Head them up. And move them out. Wild web ed, here we come. So before we start, please make sure you share your questions in the chat if you have any or post them on YouTube and we will get those answered as well. So before we go, before we kick off, let's give a Wyoming web ed welcome to Dane Weaver. Our 2020 Wyoming Teacher of the Year from Tennessee. Hello, Dane. How you doing? James, it's great to be here. Welcome. Coming to you virtually from beautiful Ten Sleep, Wyoming. Thank you for having me on today. Maya, how are you? I'm great. I am so excited to talk to you today. Thanks for being here. All right, Dane. So let's let's go right in with what we what Maya and I were just visiting about. What does the, an engaged student. What does an engaged student, that term really mean to you? What does that mean? So I think, you know, obviously everybody out there kind of already probably knows the simple answer. Um, an engaged student is one that's actually interacting with the content. You know, there's this traditional model of the student sitting there at the desk, looking up at the classroom, looking up at the ceiling, kind of not focusing, but engaged student is actually looking at you. They're talking about the content that is going on in the classroom. They're not just letting it hit them upside the head, but instead they're actually taking it in and then they're giving it back out, 
you know the content's really hitting the base. You know the student is hyper-engaged when they're actually taking that content and making something of it. You know, and, 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 I, and what you're saying speaks so clearly, clearly to me as a social studies guy like yourself. I always think about, you know, what's happening right now is real to our kids. And so getting that and connecting that to all the wonderful pieces of history and government and all those, that's what makes it real. And so like starting now and going backward helps create that engagement. All right, Maya, what do you got for us? Well, Dana, I was really wondering about not all students love school and you know, sad to say I have a daughter. She is not a big fan of social studies. So if you have that student who's not very engaged, what do you do with them? How do you bring them into whatever you're doing in the classroom? First off, I love that question, right? As a social studies teacher, you know, we, we have told the students, you should care about English. You should care about math. You should care about social studies and science. But let them ask why. Why is what I'm teaching important? Why is the War of 1812 is important? We want students to always inquire, but when it comes to our core subjects, we feel like, ah, they should just love it. They're going to love it. But no, we need to point out why it's relevant. We need to say, look, we're not just learning the Revolutionary War just, just because. There's no just because. There has to be a reason you're teaching what you're teaching, other than that's what our grandparents did. That doesn't work anymore. We want our kids to always be looking at purpose, rhyme, and reason. And so that's an incredible thing. And so if you were to ask me as a social studies teacher, you know, how to engage your daughter, it is to get her to think it and point out the reasons why we're learning what we're learning, making it relevant to her. And not just giving it to her because that's what we've done. That's the model of education. That doesn't work anymore. I don't know it ever worked, but it certainly doesn't work now. And so we need our students to understand it's okay to question the content. It's okay to wonder why am I learning about the, you know, the French Indian War or why are we looking at President Woodrow Wilson? Because everything that I teach needs to have relevance or it does not need to be taught. And I know I don't mean to, you know, make other social studies teachers like, oh, they should just learn the Vietnam War because that's what we do. But we need to include relevance because once students see that, they're in. We got them. And that's what is key. So every time before I plan a lesson, I have to ask myself, okay, you know, we're learning about MacArthur today. Well, why? Why am I wanting to teach them up MacArthur? It can't be just because that's the next law of the line. There has to be relevance. We need to give them a purpose for their education. I love that, Dane. And they really, they like to ask questions. So if you give them that space, they're teenagers. They'll ask 20 questions if it matters to them. For sure. And, and that brings up the, the idea of social studies. We've got a lot of dead people in social studies, and they're really not relevant unless we connect them to live people and so, yeah, you just highlight such a, a great point there, Dane. When, when we're thinking about, when I'm thinking about Tensleep, Tensleep's a beautiful place. It's small, it's spread out. So when the COVID situation blew into town um, and schools suddenly were shut down, buildings were shut down for kids, how did you keep making connections during that time online? Well, James, I think a lot of it was, first off, trying to, you know, brainstorm, like, everything you could think of. Like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Because my 10 years of education automatically just went away, right? Everything I had learned about the classroom just disappeared. 
Like, there was nothing. Uh, you know, none of us were trained for this. This wasn't something we were ready for. So we had to go back to what matters, right? All that matters is the relationships you have with the kids. And if you have that built in, and luckily, you know, Ken said, we have an advantage here. Not to, not to rub it into Shine or Cast, but we have a little bit of an advantage. I'm a 7-12 social studies teacher, which means I get them in 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade year. So I know the kids and the kids know me. And that's a huge important thing because whenever I could tell like a, a kid wasn't giving me the work they were capable of. We all know our kids work. We know where they're at and we don't want them. If they're here, we're always wanting here, right? We're always wanting them one level above. And so if I wasn't getting that, First off, you know, if we're doing like a lesson right now, I'd say, James, you know, we just discussed this, right? And they all, yeah, that's right. Like, you're, you're getting all ready now. Like, I called you out. Like, that is something you know. You know you have to be engaged now. But then I need to give you a question that relates to you. It can't just be a game of gotcha, James. That's not what we're playing in education. But I need you to take the content and take a moment. Give you a question that gives you a second to breathe. Think about what you've learned and then apply it in a new situation, which is a challenge for social studies, but not if that's your intent, right? That is kind of the key. Second thing you have to do is you have to teach kids how to be engaged online. Now, I think we take that for granted. We think, well, they should just know how to do that. Well, I don't know how to be engaged online. I mean, I have to learn that. And so that's something we have to teach our kids. And God forbid we have to go back to, you know, just a strictly online platform. We have to be focused on teaching kids how to be online learners. What does that look like? How is that different in the classroom? Next kind of everything, but we do that. Like the first day of class, the Harry Wong, right? We are taught these are our procedures, but this is also what I'm expecting in my class. This is how to ask questions. This is how to answer questions. And we just have to apply that to the online world. We can't take it for granted. We know they have computers, but they're, they're twittering. They're not used to just real active, drop 30 lines and then move on is what they're used to. But we have to say, how can I keep you engaged for 50 minutes, an hour? What does that look like? And then always making sure that your activities, and this is a big one, right? Always making sure you don't just do one thing. You're moving from task to task so that you can keep them engaged with, I can't pay attention for an hour and a half. Not even about my content. If you go look at my book collections, I got them piled up to here because I go from one chapter, then I move to a different one. So we've got to make sure that they remain engaged throughout the course. And that's just a lot of forethought and thinking like a high schooler, which is a dangerous place to be, but we have to get in that mindset. Yeah, you bring up the dangerous place to be, but when we think about, you know, most of us don't like to sit for an hour and watch somebody lecture us anyway. So you put us on a video screen and give us access to other tools, whether it's social media or video games. Yeah, there's, there's no being engaged for a, a solid hour, hour and a half online. That, it's, just, it's just not possible. That's such a great point. So Dane, you're describing some of the components of project-based learning. So you're talking about activity and engagement and in the way where the students are building and creating and doing. How do you take that hands-on learning that is a little bit easier, I think, to do in a face-to-face -face classroom? And how do you do that in an online environment? I know I think that's a big struggle for teachers. It is a big struggle because once again, you know, 
we weren't taught this. This wasn't something. We're inventing something. I mean, yeah, we're inventing a new model of education. So, you know, first off, but we have to go back to the basics. We know some of the tenets of this, right? We know the I do, you do, I mean, the I do, we do, you do model, right? The first thing is, it goes back to James' main point. You can't do an hour and 30-minute lecture on the computer. Don't. Just don't. Don't. You've got 10 minutes. That's what you got. You better, you, hey, look, I can talk quick, but we don't need to do that, right? We need to make sure we take our time. But I've got for 10 or 15 minutes. But then we have to take what we told in that 10, 15 minutes and make it applicable to the next section of our lesson. We need to make sure there's a correlation to that and that we are actively online helping our students. We're using all the digital tools that we can get together, right? And this is a big piece of like digital collaboration. Oh, love digital collaboration whether it's a Google Doc or it's some other form, you're on there with them and they're not just doing their work. You're adding input. You're constantly pouring into them. You're giving them feedback. You can't do a, you know, you can't do any type of group projects or anything without feedback. But luckily we have the digital tools to do that. And so just because the my 10 or 15 piece limit is over with doesn't mean that I can be like, they got it now. Good luck for the next 50 minutes. You've got this, I believe, and you don't do that, right? Your piece is actually bigger in the second of its project-based learning. you got to keep that going. And so you're going to be constantly giving feedback to kids. I like what you did there. That's awesome. But now dig further into this. I, I want you to dive further. Dig that out a little bit for me. And so constantly keep engaging with them as they go about their project-based learning. Don't just go sit at your virtual desk somewhere and say, yeah, Good teacher. I got this one. You got to be careful of the virtual desk being like a virtual golf course or, you know, somewhere watching TV, just just the same distractions as, as students have. So you, you've really talked a lot about promoting collaboration and, and doing that. So how do you, how do you build collaboration outside the classroom? Kids are very, very skilled on texting each other about, random who knows what or snapchatting or TikToking the random dance that they want to do but how do you how do we get them to understand that tech can be such a great collaborative educational tool and it kind of goes back to what a little bit i've discussed before they have to relearn the digital world right they're used to things that aren't definitely going to lend themselves to a more in-depth education dropping a couple lines on twitter is not the same thing is learning higher level algebra. That's, that's a completely different thing. That's a different world. And so we have to go back and we have to teach them, right? They have to, we took this for granted. I was never taught how to learn. Which, when you think about that, that is unfathomable that nobody ever sat down and said, dang, this is how you do this. This is what my expectations are you. And so, you know, we're going to, you know, if we go back to this digital model, we've got to go back in the first few days, we've got to teach them what we want. This is what it looks like to learn on an online platform. Let me model it for you. These are what some of my expectations are. This is how I would do it. But now I don't want to pigeonhole you here. Because one of the great things about this resource is they can invent their own way. But we have to show them. We have to be the pathfinder. Sometimes that's a good thing, especially with our littles. I have two four-year-old twins. They're pretty smart. They're pretty tech-savvy, but they have no clue. They play follow the leader half the time. You've got to break them of that model and show them, look, this is the kind of stuff I want. Here are some digital resources. This is what I want you to do, but I want you to think outside the box. And when you have an idea, come talk to me. I can kind of help you 
fill out that, that empty void of things that you didn't think about. And so to me, it's all about the setup. It's always been about the setup in education, though. And so we have to be very intentional about how we set everything up and what we want from our students. I love what you're saying about being actively engaged as the instructor to just keep things moving along and, you know, being present. I think that's really important. And the, you mentioned feedback. I, all that is just, you know, great practice for any educational space. So you're the Wyoming teacher of the year this year. And I'm wondering what you've learned from that experience that you can bring back to your classroom. Oh, that is a great question. So one of the great privileges of being collaboration with the habits of errors. I know we say collaboration enough here. If you're not in the educational world, you're bound to be banging your head by now. But for us, it's everything. Because here's the thing. None of us know everything about education, not even close, right? It's a, that big secret that all of us teachers like keep inside. We don't tell our students, right? I don't know everything. But this is what is great about getting out and, you know, collaborating with people, whether they're in Pine Bluff or Pine Dale or Big Piney, doesn't matter. Pick any tree, it'll work. Is that we can see what they're doing and say, hey, I like that. I don't know why I'm not doing that. I need to do that, right? Because... I'm a little bit of an educational thief, because all teachers kind of are. Look at teachers, hey, teachers, that's a huge cottage industry. And so I like to say, hey, I want to try that in my classroom. How did that work? What did that look like? And being teacher of the year has given me a platform, but also um, through programs um, such as Level Up that has kind of leveraged, you know, a lot of educational leaders, whether that's district teachers of the year, outstanding principals, what have you, we now have a connection. It is something that Wyoming, we need to promoting and promoting and promoting, get people to talk to one another, get them outside the box. We're used to PLCing like in your district or in your school. And let me tell you, Tinsley's PLC, as far as social studies goes, I'm constantly PLCing right here, right? But I have to go talk to people not only from Warland, but I need to talk to people from Guernsey. I need to, you know, network with people from Jackson. This is a huge thing for us because if I don't talk to other people, my curriculum doesn't change. I constantly have to be learning and I have to almost be thrust upon that. That makes me want to be better. And so, you know, one of the great things about being teacher of the year is I've got to meet people that has improved my craft. Well, Dane, we're just about to the end of this ride. So we've got time for maybe one more question. And so what is, you know, you've been around education, your, your family, you have a family history of education. So really looking at this coming year, it's different than any time before in, in our educational career anyway. What's your hope for the, ed, for the upcoming year for education? You know, I must tell you, I, I feel a little guilty after last, last school year, you know, just having March and April and being thrown into it. Half the time, I felt like a terrible teacher. I think Every educator felt like a terrible teacher. Sometimes I thought, God, I got over this in my first year, right? But hopefully, at the essence, at the base of this, you know, we go back to what is the foundation of education. It's promoting our students. And so hopefully we can all provide that, that safe place for our students, whether it's in a physical classroom or it's in a digital classroom. And there's something we're going to have to work extremely hard on is understanding how can we reach beyond the, the limits of the computer screen and make sure our students know that we're still there. Like we haven't gone anywhere. Just because we're not in physical proximity does not mean we're not in proximity. 
You know, this is like, like a key for me is I, I want to make sure students understand that, you know, I'm always here, not just educationally, but I'm here for you as a student. Because at the end of the day, most of my students are not going to become history teachers. If they do, I'm really excited, right? I'm really, really pumped about that. But I want to use my content to promote students, not use my students to promote my content. That's not my purpose. And so going back to just the base level of education, I want to make sure my students know that I'm here for them day after day after day. And I only want to see what's best for them and see their futures skyrocket. Oh, what a, what a great way to wrap up this ride, Dane. Thank you for for your, your thoughts and, and definitely the, the highlight of, of thinking about letting our kids know that we, we're here for them and we care for them. Uh, what a great way to end this, this conversation. So thank you, Dane, for joining us. And uh, next week, we saddle up for the granddaddy of conversations with some rodeo rough stock. We've got Governor Mark Gordon and State Superintendent of Education, Jillian Balow. You won't want to miss this rodeo for sure. Next week, same time, same place. Happy trails to you. Until we see you next Tuesday. <laughs>